For more evangelism resources or to help support the ministries of Agents for Christ, go to agentsforchrist.org. That's agentsforchrist.org. Hearing the word, answering the call, changing lives. The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Signs of the Times, our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, January 15th, 2021. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, alongside with Pastor Mark Kirk, our senior pastor here at Calvary Knoxville, to help us understand what's happening in our world today and why God's Word has already told us that these things would be happening in the latter days. This is episode 153. For those of you that are podcasting on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher, and we welcome those of you that uh, now see why we have Faces for Radio uh, live <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah, and, le- and and from now on, we hope to be live. Yes, so live yes. on YouTube, as long as they keep YouTube open for us to be live on. That's right. Uh, I will say, though, as a, as a matter of housekeeping, because it will, I'm going to lead into talking about um, YouTube, uh, we will not have a show next Friday, the 22nd, and that's because uh, Pastor Mark is not only our prophecy expert, but he's an actual pastor, and he's got pastoral duties next Friday out of state. Uh, with a funeral, uh, so he will not be able to be with us, uh, but we will be back on the 29th. I'll mention that again later in the program for those of you that didn't catch the beginning. But when we return on the 29th, I hope to have some very exciting news uh, finally finished. Uh, and, and this is, I'm kind of doing a Pastor Mark thing where I'm talking about things before they're fully released, uh, <laughs> which drives the staff crazy because sometimes Pastor Mark talks about things and the staff has no idea what he's talking about. And then we find out when you do. But anyway, uh, on the 29th, when we come back, uh, hope to have a, uh, uh, an, an app and a website and a new way to get content to you uh, that we're very excited about. And uh, that should hopefully be finalized by the 29th. We're, be we're almost there. Going to be great. We're Getting things better all the time on yes. reaching out uh, for the Lord's great. I Absolutely. love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, did you know, fact, this is, I love this. This is all about God's creation. Australia's great rare... rare Great Barrier Reef is the world's largest living structure, covering about 133,000 square miles. That's greater than the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and Switzerland combined. Astronauts can even see it from outer space. Amazing. Isn't that crazy? It is. It really is. The reef stretches approximately 1,500 miles along the coast of Queensland in eastern Australia. Now, this this is the part that got me. Since the ocean covers more than 70% of the Earth's surface... It probably comes as no surprise that it's swarming with colorful creatures, but perhaps more surprising is that researchers estimate that 94% of all life on Earth is aquatic. Oh, wow. So that means that... Think about that. Makes sense. Ninety-four. Per, that's what they're estimating. We're, I don't know what the margin of error water. is. Yeah, mostly water. That's pretty amazing. So only 6% on land. Of so, any kind of living. And this is just living creatures. That's amazing. Isn't that that's, amazing? It really is amazing. Yep, it is fantastic. absolutely amazing. All right. Well, let's get this show started with lots of listener questions. I love it. And that's really the focus yeah. of our first half because obviously there's lots of things that are happening in our country and around the world that are causing our listeners to have questions, and we love receiving those questions. So keep them coming. We'll talk about other ways to send us questions in a little bit. Uh, Pastor Mark, our first one comes from Mike, and his uh, the subject for his question is civil war. Yeah. And he says, with everything happening right now, 
Do you feel there will be a civil war in our country? And if so, how should we as Christians react? You know, this is a great question that I've been actually avoiding for a while just because it's one of those things you don't want to talk about until you have to. But I keep getting more questions from the church and from people. And you want to make sure you don't come across wrong when you answer this. I want to take a little bit of time to talk about this. And I think... Um, it's hard except to really nail down what God wants to do in every situation in life and in history specifically. But there are some very, I think, strong Christian principles, or I should say biblical principles, Greg, when it comes to a question like this uh, from Mike. And so, Mike, thanks. It's a great question. And um, that is something that's a concern of many people. We saw what's been happening over the last year. Uh, we've been seeing riots in the cities of America, uh, specific cities, and already seeing the unrest there. And then the culmination, of course, in Washington was a little bit more dramatic because it was at the Capitol. It wasn't quite to the extent that we've been seeing in our cities over the past year. But the mere fact that it was at the Capitol really grabbed the world's attention, uh, the, the nation's attention and the world. And so, again, this is where a lot of this talk began because, you know, in the past you've had uh, different sides. You've had two sides and they disagree, but they're able to talk and to work through them. Neither side being totally happy, but able to work through it. We have a situation now in Washington where both sides are so far apart, Greg, there are very few things that can be agreed upon. And honestly, some of them are so stark that they may never be agreed upon. For example, you know, as a conservative, you can never agree to killing babies. You can never agree to abortion. That's something that can't even be on the table. That's just one that shows you there are some things that are unbending. Um, and so these kind of issues are now forcing things uh, to happen in our nation that are that are very concerning. And could we end up having some more fighting in our cities and ultimately even a civil war? Only God knows. But it is definitely a possibility. I mean, nations throughout history have had these. You look at France and the you know some of the more recent times, their revolution. We had the American mm-hmm. Civil War. You know, wars and civil wars around the world, Greg, have been going for a long time. And of course, in the last days, the Bible says there will be wars and rumors of war. And it doesn't mean necessarily just country to country. It can certainly be from within side. So is there the possibility of it? Yeah, I think that if we look at history, we have to admit there's the possibility. Now, what we, what we should say is we hope that never happens. And I want to further expound on this question because I had somebody else ask me, yeah, well, then what should we do? Should we get involved if one just breaks out in America? What do we do? And um, the first principle I would put out there, Mike, is this, that God, that God does allow in his word for self-defense. So the first principle would be, If you're in a situation, any nation where war breaks out, you are allowed to protect yourself and your family. Self-defense is something that the Bible allows for. You hopefully never have to be in that position, but it is allowed. You know, it's interesting. The last night that the Lord spent with the disciples, Greg, he sent them out two different times. The first time he sent them out, he said, don't take anything with you. Just go in faith. The second time he sent them out, he spoke to them about sending them out right before he went to the cross on that final evening. He said, now this time, Take stuff with you. Take a, you know, um, food. Take two, two, uh, something to sleep in. Something to live. You know, take supplies with you. Take things you'll need to be able to go out. And the first principle he was teaching them is that yeah, we need to learn to walk by faith. But there's also times just use wisdom. You know, if you did get supplies, then get supplies. So both can be applicable depending on your situation. Which I think there's a great lesson to learn in both of those. But he said something very interesting to his disciples. He said to them, if you don't have two tunics, get them. If you don't have a sword, sell what you have and buy one. Now, what's interesting about that word sword, it is a sword that can be used for animal sacrifice, but it also has one of the main applications of the word that the Lord used there is a self-defense weapon. Now, a lot of people don't realize that, but actually they're in the Greek language. It speaks of that particular knife that he speaks of there as a uh, it's a knife that was used for yes sacrifice if you will but it wasn't really used for like campfires and and whittling wood and you know whatever it was used for sacrifice and self-defense and uh, primarily primarily so basically what the lord said is is it's okay to get something to protect yourself with and to protect your family now that i'm sending you out into the world so What's the principle here? We're not to go on offense and go out there attacking people, especially as believers. We're to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But if someone attacks you and somebody breaks into your home and tries to kill your wife and your children, what the Lord is saying is you have every right to defend yourself. If you're out in the mission field and somebody comes in and tries to start killing everyone in the village, you're not in sin by defending yourself and the village. 
So the first principle I would say we see there in scripture by what the Lord told his disciples is that, for example, let's say, if civil war was to break out in America, God forbid, and we should pray against that, and we should never be on offense with that. Self-defense is allowable. So the two principles there are self-defense, but we're not to be the ones on offense, and I'll further that in a moment as you add your thought there. Well, my thought was a scripture verse, and it's Matthew 5, 9. Yeah, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children exactly, of God. Exactly, exactly. So, so can we bring the Scripture yes. into balance into this? Because Absolutely. Because it sounds like both are true, but how do you strike the Well, here's balance the balance. That? No, that's great, great. Here's the balance. I want to say this again. What I did was I addressed it from the self-defense um, uh, approach first. Sure. But here's the balance of that. I do not believe we're to go on offense. In other words, we don't band together as the church and go attack America. Okay, what happened, for example, at the Capitol? What happening in these cities? You know, with these um, uh, the 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 BLM marches, and also there were just all the riots that happened. We're not to be a part of that. We're not to be on the offense, if you will. There's nothing wrong in making our voice known. Don't get me wrong. We can make our voice known, but we do not go on offense. And interesting, the very night that the Lord taught them that you know you can get a self defense weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a use for that. That night, Peter pulled out. He said, I've got two. And the Lord said, that's enough. You don't need, you know, you don't have to get a stockpile. You're doing fine, Pete. Let's calm down. Yeah. That night, Peter pulled out his self-defense weapon and cut off the ear of Malchus. Yeah. In the garden, he took an offensive action. Now, you could say, but that was defensive. They were coming to arrest him. No, it wasn't defensive because the Lord had said he was going to protect his disciples. He was sending them into all the world. They had nothing to defend. They were coming after Jesus. Yeah. Jesus took no self-defensive action. As a matter of fact, he allowed himself to be arrested because he came for that purpose. So Peter jumped on offense, and Peter was always impulsive. And I think we have a lot of people like Peter in the church today that would like to grab a weapon and go on offense. And I want to say to those of you that are believers out there and you're thinking you should go on offense, I want to try to pull you back from that. Because when the Lord, when Peter did it, he said, Peter, put your sword away. Put your weapon away as using it offensively. Yeah. Because if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. That's not what the believer is to do. Well, let's take it one step further with Peter, because during that time, let's talk about the political climate of that time. Yeah. The Jesus's earthly ministry existed during a one world government. Yeah. And the disciples thought that Jesus was coming to usurp that. Take the world over. And he was going to take the world over. That's what they thought. That's right. So they're they're wanting to, to, to fight in that sense. I'm assuming would be maybe along those veins because that's what their hope was. And we see that from other scriptures where they're like, hey, what position can I be in his cabinet? I want to be on his ride, all that kind of stuff. So that's also to be taken into context that Jesus's response wasn't, yep, we're taking it. Right. Because it's like, this isn't my kingdom. That's right. And here's the thing. When it's taken, it won't be us. Right. The Lord will come back and he'll take it. He'll take it. And he even said when he was standing before Pilate, and he said, are you a king? He said, I'm not a king. My kingdom is not here now. He used the word now. It's interesting. He said, my kingdom is now. It's not here. The word now is in there because one day it will be. Yeah. But he said, my kingdom is not here now. He said, if it were, my servants would fight. End quote. Yes. Jesus himself to Pilate. He made the point. This is not, we're not on offense. My people aren't on offense. I came to save the lost. I came to, to bring in those that need Jesus Christ. Yeah. But they can defend themselves. But they're not to go on offense. So we have to be very, very careful. You know, again, so it gets, it, you know, then the question comes in, well, when is it defending myself? Like I said, if, if, if war comes to you and they're trying to kill your family and it's a war going on, you have, you, you have the right to protect your family. But Christians are not to run out and start a civil war and jump into a civil war and go on the offense. Again, when we do that, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And also um, his kingdom, the Lord said, my servants, they don't fight right now because the kingdom is not of this world right now. Now. I want to go a little bit farther um, in talking about this and expand a little bit more on this because it's not just the the self defense issue and and um, and and the fighting of the kingdom issue, um, but it's also um, and uh, you know my mind just went blank. I had another point I want to make. I'll probably come back to it because I had something else I want to say before we moved on on that, and my mind just went blank and I've got too many things I'm thinking about at one time. But because I want to make sure that I cover all of these different issues. Uh, from every angle and and not leave anybody hanging on that because I know there are questions out there about how we do that oh I know what it was I had another question that I don't have in front of me but was sent to me earlier in the week and that's been in my mind and they said okay if we're not to go on offense what about David what about uh, Moses and you know what about uh, Moses and when he came out of Egypt what about Joshua when he went into the land let me let's talk about that 
when Moses was in Egypt, it was God judging the nation of Egypt. He sent Moses as a spokesman that he was going to judge them. And the children of Israel didn't exact those judgments. They simply pronounced them and God brought the judgments by plagues. Then when they came out, what about the worst they had in the wilderness? They were attacked. They didn't go out there. They didn't go try to fight these, the, the, these, the Moabites and these different people when they came to the land or, or the Amalekites. Uh, you know, God, God did send them against the Amalekites for judgment. But remember, these people were coming against them first. So it was self-defense with Moses all through the wilderness. Then you get to Joshua. What happened with Joshua? God said, I'm choosing you nationally to judge these nations because they, I've given them 400 years to repent. And they hadn't repented. So he literally raised up a nation to judge these other nations, the seven nations, maybe 10 at the time. There didn't be seven by the time Joshua got in there, how that worked when they were done. But the nations that were there, so it was a national judgment ordained by God after God gave opportunity for all these nations to, um, to repent. It wasn't individuals rising up to fight the Canaanites. It was a national judgment. Now we go on to David. Once they were in the land, again, David went around doing raids in certain areas and wiping out. What about that? Well, again, first of all, there could be some question about whether or not everything David did was accurate or correct. But I will say this, where David carried out his raids were pockets of Canaanites who were left over from the children of Israel coming in the land. In other words, God had already pronounced judgment against all the Canaanites and rather than them wiping all of them out, they allowed some of them to remain. So you still had some people there in the land who were under the judgment of God, and David was finishing what Joshua started. So when you back up and look at all of it, it was national judgments, nations judging nations, led by God. It wasn't individuals rising up with their weapons and going on the offense. So yes, God does judge nations by nations. God does use, has used uh, even Israel or Christian nations in the past to do that. I think that God used America to judge Saddam Hussein when they started attacking Israel. But it was a national judgment led by God in line with his word because he said, those who bless Israel I'll bless and those who curse Israel I'll curse. And so uh, this action was taken. So again, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough subject in many ways. We look at our founding fathers. Let me touch on that before we move on. And I told you I'd spend some time on this. Um, our founding father, what about our founding fathers? Remember. It might be historically recorded that we fired the first shot, which I believe it is. Shot heard around the world or whatever. But the reality is that first shot was fired in self-defense after England was bringing tyranny in to put them under bondage here in America. I'm not justifying everything that happened with our founding fathers. Don't get me wrong. Only God knows. It could have been wrong in some ways. It could have been right in some ways. But it was still a self-defensive act as, as England came in on the people here of America where they defended themselves. So right or wrong, I think that was the ultimate outcome of that. But I will say this, either way, God used it. And he used it in a mighty way to make America the most powerful nation in the world and truly a great country and one of the greatest countries that's ever existed. So God can use it even if the founding fathers didn't do everything right. God used it to make a great nation. They repented, and God, again, has used America around the world to be a blessing to the world. So um, I hope that helps. That kind of gives some more viewpoints of, of, of the offense, the defense, the way that works. My heart would be for the church now and believers, don't be running out trying to start a civil war. Don't be jumping into militias, trying to attack the government. We need to—Jesus is our Lord— we are not citizens of the earth. We are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in the kingdom. And boy, is that becoming more and more clear every day. We talked about that yeah. the other day. Yeah. We don't belong here, and it's becoming very evident. But we shouldn't be going out attacking the world. If the world comes to our door, if evil comes to our door and tries to kill our families, God does give us the right to be able to defend ourselves. But we have to be very careful about going out to be the initiators of that. That's not what I believe we're called to do. Okay. Uh, Pastor Mark, this question is from Kate. And she says, my neighbor is not a believer and is very afraid about what is happening in our country. She has lived through this as a small child in another country. I've spoken with her and shared the gospel and what the Bible says about a one-world government before Jesus' return. She's very open to the gospel. She's asking questions about why would God let his people suffer so much and be killed by evil if he is good. I know of many scriptures, beginning with the fall of man and God's prophecy concerning enmity, between the woman's seed and Satan's seed that addresses this, but I'm wondering how you 
would answer this. Yeah. Again, another great question, Kate. I really appreciate it. Let me just say you've got part of your answer here in the question. I think it's kind of an enigma that that some of it can't really be fully understood or explained. Many of us have the same question in some ways. But you talk about it's kind of like why, why that whole book, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you know, really, yeah. there really aren't any good people. I mean, technically, when you look at it, we're all sinners. But, but I we get, get the point. Yeah. We get the point. Um, the bottom line is you kind of nailed it there, and I want to expound on it just a little bit and maybe give some balance to it. We do live in a fallen world, and because of that, there are consequences where even if you do the right thing, oftentimes you come under great um, uh, suffering. Um, great injustices. Why Why do people die? Well, because we sinned in the garden and then, then death entered the world. Why are all these babies put to death, you know, by abortion? Well, because mankind is now evil due to the fall. Um, and you say, well, why does God allow it? Let me remind you, God allowed it to happen to his own son, the most righteous human to ever live, God in human form, never did anything wrong, was totally righteous. God allowed him to be wrongfully beaten wrongfully tortured they pulled out his hair and then and when they whipped him they stripped the skin off his back they nailed him his, his body with nails to a wood on a cross so god allows these things we know why god allowed that to happen to jesus he had to be a sacrifice for us but why does god allow all these other things the other things happen because of the fall you answered it yourself that's why there's evil in the world because of the fall the question is why didn't god just stop it all Again, uh, I don't know the answer, and I don't know the Bible tells us the answer as to why God doesn't just stop all suffering right now and just deal with it, but God knows, and the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways, his understanding is not our understanding, and we have to trust him, and it also says he'll make everything right in the end, which means one day we're going to be in heaven, and it's interesting when we're there, Greg, around the throne, the Bible says we'll be saying everything you've done, Lord, is righteous. So although now we go, I don't get it. Why would God allow this? But when we get there and our eyes are open, we're going to say, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Because the question the other day, why does God even allow Satan to roam free right now? Because Satan is a servant of God. They're not equals fighting each other. God is using Satan to judge those who rebel against him, as well as to bring about his will in the world to the ultimate culmination of his son coming and ruling and reigning. So he's allowing him to operate to fulfill his will ultimately. I guarantee you, when God is through with Satan, Satan's out of the picture. And that'll happen at the end of the thousand-year reign. There'll be no more use for him. He'll be locked away forever in a lake of fire, and he's done. So God knows what he's doing. We trust him, although we don't have all the answers. And we just have to trust that God is good, and he knows, and he's going to make it all right in the end. Absolutely. All right, Pastor Mark, our next question is from Ashley. And Ashley is concerned about loving others with all of the things that are happening in our country right now. She basically asked this question. How do we practically continue to love the world and be a light for Jesus in these difficult days? Yeah. Yeah. And there's really kind of a feeling behind this. Not just, first of all, great question, Ashley. And there's a feeling behind this, too, is, you know, how do we love them? It's like when they're doing so many things that can make us angry. You know, you look at this with all this going on with the government, with all this going on with COVID, the way they're treating it. I get this sense, and I hope I'm reading it right, Ashley, from your heart, that it's not just how do we love them, but I think even expanded beyond that, how do we love them when they're being so hateful, right? When they're putting us under oppression, when they're doing all these things. Ashley, I would lead you back to the example of Jesus. You see the Lord with all these people that hated him, and he still, by the power of the Holy Spirit, loved them, even hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Here's the point. He allowed himself to be wrongfully treated because he understood that one day God would make it all right and correct. And at the same time, that many of them do it and they don't even know what they're doing because they're unsaved. I mean, there's people that are very, very evil and they intentionally, Greg, are doing just horrible things and they know what they're doing. I'm not talking about God will deal with them and Mm -hmm. I have less mercy for them. But there's a lot of people wrapped up in this thing. I look at Paul. Paul was out attacking Christians, killing them, but he was motivated by thinking he was pleasing God. So he's the type of person that although he was doing great evil, God was saying, Jesus was saying, which is God from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Paul would have been included in that. He wasn't yet saved. And of course, he came to Paul later. So I would say this. We, we make a choice to love them regardless, and we cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do it? We do it the way Jesus did. We love even the unlovely. We love those even that hate us, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? Go to God in prayer. 
and say, God, I need you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I need you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I need you to come upon me in the Holy Spirit and give me the power to love the hateful the way that you love them and to show your love. Yeah. Now, with that said, there's a balance. and I'll give one last balance before we move on, unless you have any further comments on that, Greg. And that is this. The Lord did deal with people that needed to be dealt with even while he was loving. And I'll give you the example of, you know, he spoke of Herod. And he said, you tell that sly fox that, you know, that Herod's going to kill you. He said, you go tell that sly fox that I'll be in Jerusalem in three days and I'm going to die. He's going to, he's not going to stop it. And, and, you know, it, 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 so he called him even, you know, saying he's, he's very smart like a fox and wily, but I mean, he dealt with me sly and I'm not yeah. afraid to, to call it what it is. The Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, your father is Satan. So your father is the devil. You have no part in God, you know. So it's not that he didn't stand up to those that needed to be stood up to and correct them and rebuke them at the right time. Um, but at the same time, if one of them was to come to him and repent, like Nicodemus, yeah. when he came, the Lord received him. So the key is, yes, we speak out against evil, but we keep our heart tender to receive those that are in evil and realize they don't, some of them don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And we ask for God's mercy by the power of his spirit to love them the way that Jesus loved them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's no other way you're going to be able to do that except by his power. You know, Ashley, I'd also add to that, uh, as Pastor Mark had talked about, Jesus being on the cross, and he cried out to the Father, uh, asking the Father to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. Jesus spiritually understood something that was revealed to us later in the Scriptures, and those two principles are found in Ephesians 6.12, which is we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And in that spiritual battle, we see in 1 John 5, 19, it says, those that are not in Christ Jesus are under the sway or under the influence of the enemy, of the evil one. And so when you see these things happening, and you put that into context of what was happening even in Jesus's day, you can better appreciate applying the scriptures, how Jesus could say what he said on the cross, because there was something going on that was much greater than the physical scene in front of the people. That's right. And what was accounted to us in the gospel. That's right. Great point, Greg. Good great, question. Great. All right. Uh, for the time we got left here, Pastor, let's see if we can get this last one in here, and then we'll uh, hit the other question on the second half. Sure. This is from Lauren about a one-world government. Uh, she said, and I'm just going to summarize all of her stuff here, I was trying to look up verses about a one-world order or one big global government and couldn't quite pin down specific ones. Where can I look for these in the Bible? And is the rapture contingent on a one-world government? Yeah, you'll see the one-world government spoken of when you, now that you understand it. It's there when you read Revelation. But the best verse I can give you on that one is Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel's vision, he sees the four different governments, the major world governments that will be in the world from that point on. And, of course, the last one being the Roman government will be revived again in the last days, which will be a one-world government, even as it used to be one world the first time. It'll be a one-world again. Uh, designated in Daniel's vision in chapter two by the ten, the two toes and the I'm sorry, the two feet and the ten toes. Again, showing the east and west part of the Roman Empire in the initial Roman Empire, but I believe also a picture of the second leg of the Roman. I think there's two things going on: the east-west. It was broken up because the Roman Empire was east and west. But I think also having two legs makes a point. There'll be part one and there'll be part two, and the feet there with the ten toes. That shows a one-world government, the ten nations ruling that one-world government that'll be there in the last days. And then now with that understanding, you'll see it in other places of Scripture and prophecy, as well as it talks about, um, you know, Babylon, the great falling, the one-world economy tied into that in the book of Revelation. And also, yes, all of these are, they're not contingent on the rapture. They are contingent for the Antichrist to come on the scene because it'll be in place and then he'll come on the scene. But they are not contingent on the rapture. The rapture can happen at any moment, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, I believe the rapture will happen before those ten nations come together. Now, I believe it'll definitely happen before the Antichrist is revealed. So there's a chance the ten nations could come together and then the rapture. I don't know, even though I don't think so. That could happen. But I believe that we'll be out of here even if the ten nations are together before the Antichrist comes on the scene. Because uh, the Bible, I think, makes that uh, indication in Thessalonians. It's interesting. The, the, the church was birthed in a one-world government. Yeah. And it's going to go out on the cusp of a one-world government. That's right. That's and right. its leader yeah. uh, coming on the scene. Yeah. Incredible. All right. The biggest question that we've had all week is COVID-19, the mark of the beast? 
We're going to talk about that in detail, plus other things to talk about as we read the articles as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. Are you in need of a job? Hi, I'm Henry de Jong standing in for Chuck Bentley. This is My Money Life from Crown. Years ago, Chuck Bentley was in the same position. He asked God to open doors for him through his network of friends. Within days, a friend referred him to another friend who owned a large company. The interview was a few short questions about experience, training, and overall fit for the position. Well, he fell short in all three areas. The owner asked why he even came for an interview. He looked at him and said that he just wouldn't work. At that moment, Chuck stood to shake his hand and ask with a level of confidence that could only have come from God. Sir, he said, I understand your concerns. I know that I'm not very qualified for the position, but will you give me a chance to prove myself? He hired Chuck on a 90-day probation period. If unable to perform, he'd be terminated. By God's grace, he made a very large sale for the company within the first 30 days. It shocked everyone, including himself. It happened month after month. The first year, he was the top producer in the company, and by the fourth year, he had set a number of company records. This year, ask God to open doors for you. Don't expect millions of dollars, but be willing to leave your comfort zone and trust Him to provide all you need to excel in your work. Remember, God is faithful. If you want to learn more about stewardship principles, access Crown's online studies, tools, and career assessments. They will help you on your spiritual and financial journey. Find out more at crown.org. That is crown.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. The Bible speaks to us in the New Testament too, that we ought not to think too highly of ourselves, but that we should esteem others higher than ourselves. And I think it's even more important to take that to heart when tough times come. There's something that gets flipped in our lives, a switch perhaps in our spirit, in our, in our minds, that when tough times come, there's an immediate rush to protect ourselves. There's an immediate rush to take care of ourselves. And if we're not careful, we run the temptation of making bad decisions like Naomi here. There's no doubt about it. She shouldn't have sent these girls home or away. She should have taken them with her. You can learn more at edtaylor.org. Grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus by visiting edtaylor.org. This has been a Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. <laughs> no. Okay. Hey, we're live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hello. We're back. <laughs> Welcome back to the second half of Signs of the Times. Uh, this is January 15th, 2021, but you could be listening to episode 153 at a later date on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify or Stitcher. Either way you get the program, we thank you for taking the time to join us and spend uh, an hour's worth of your time uh, discussing Bible prophecy and uh, being encouraged uh, that we've got great things ahead for us for all of eternity as we dive into the scriptures. This is why I think it's important to remember as we as believers why we can have a joy and a peace that surpasses understanding through the power of God's Spirit, because we're feeding on God's Word, and specifically what God says about what the future is. Uh, There are better things ahead. There are better days ahead. Uh, There's a life waiting for us that is far greater than our capacity in these bodies to truly comprehend. That's what the Bible pictures for us. That's right. That's right. We can't even picture it that's right yeah, anyway, it's, gonna be, it's greater than we, we could ever imagine and we could spend a whole show talking about Easily. that but we Easily. won't because we've got many things to get to including this listener question which is our last one of the day and this is from bill 
And Bill's uh, subject is COVID night or is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? And he's getting some information from someone else that's maybe potentially saying that it could be. Uh, but this is the crux of his question, Pastor Mark. And he says, uh, do you believe based on scripture? that born-again believers can be deceived into taking the mark of the beast prior to the rapture, which I know you'll address the timing of all of that. If so, could those believers not be raptured with the church for not understanding the scriptures? Yeah, great question. I would just say right off the bat, no, I do not believe that believers could be deceived into taking the mark because the Bible says if you take the mark, you're eternally condemned. And if you're a believer and you're born again and you're saved... You can't be eternally condemned. So I don't think there'll be any way that you can be deceived into taking the mark. Now, how God will assure that, I don't know. But I feel confident God will assure that in such a way that every believer would know you can't do this. And it won't be questionable. It won't be one person's viewpoint or even 10 people's viewpoint. It's going to be so clear to believer in their heart, they'll know what they're doing. Well, and and also important too, Pastor Mark, the mark of the beast is the name of the beast, which means it has to be issued by him himself. That's right. And he's not on the scene yet. That's right. So COVID-19 cannot, or the vaccine cannot be the mark because he will be the one that institutes it. That's a great point. And it's not a vaccine. It's a literal, it's a physical mark. And I know that there's issues about where you can trace the vaccine and it can show up in your hand or your forehead or things like that. But again, the mark is all about the beast. It's all about the Antichrist and it's all about him imitating how God has marked us yeah. as believers. Well, and yeah, and, and let's just talk more about that yeah. too, Greg, because again, it very specific. Let me read what it says about the mark. Here's why I do not believe that the shot is the mark, nor can the shot be the mark. It can't biblically. Listen to what it says in uh, Revelation 13. Speaking of the Antichrist, the false prophet, they come on the scene and talks about the Antichrist is going to make everybody take a mark. Notice this in verse 16, it says, he causes all both small and great poor, uh, free and slave, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except he who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, first of all, the mark of the beast, let's look at what's going to happen. It's going to be instituted by a particular individual. And that particular individual will be a ruler of the entire world at that time. The one we call the Antichrist. The world certainly won't call him the Antichrist. They'll be seeing him as probably the Christ. Many people, the Jews will anyway, the savior of the world. And so will many Muslims. Yeah. So, so again, it's going to be a man. He's going to be out of Europe. And he's going to make everyone take this mark on their hand or their forehead. So understand that. It's not going to be a shot. It's not going to be any. Now, could it be a computer chip that's inside of a shot they put in your hand, it could end up being that. Yeah. Or a computer chip they put inside of a syringe that they put in your forehead, it could end up being that. But it's not a virus vaccine like the COVID thing. We'll talk more about what that is Mm -hmm. in a moment. But it's not that because the Bible tells us. Now, let me tell you why else I do not believe. Okay, so you get a shot, though, somewhere, and it runs through your body and goes through your forehead and through your hand. All that. Okay. Here's the whole idea behind it being on the hand of the forehead. You've got to understand Satan's goal and and what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to be like God. He made that very clear. I want to be like God. I will ascend to the farthest sides of the north. I will be like the most high. I will be like this, whatever. It's interesting. He says like, 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 because he knows there's none greater. Mm -hmm. So he can't be greater than God because God, there is none greater. He knows that. So he wants to be like him as great, if you will. So what God told the children of Israel to do back in the law was he said, Write my name on your hand and your forehead. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That is Yahweh. Uh, He said, Write that on your hand and your forehead. And they literally, you know, I don't know that God meant it literally, but they literally today put it in this little box that they wear on their forehead. And back then they did it too on their hand that they wrap around, either their hand or their forehead. Some do both. And they call it the phylacteries, right? You may see the Jews with these things wrapped around the arm and on their head. Black boxes. Yeah, the idea is it is... It is, it's, it's acknowledging who Yahweh is, the Lord our God is one, but it's also putting his name on you. You belong to him. His name is on your forehead. His name is, is on your He is the hand. word. Now, if Satan wants to imitate that and be like God, what's he going to do? I want to do what God would do. I want my name <laughs> on your hand yes. or your forehead. So all Satan is doing is imitating God 
and trying to put his name on all mankind the way God puts his name on his children. So, the very premise of what Satan is trying to do through the Antichrist doesn't fit the idea of a vaccine that's coursing through your body. It doesn't meet the requirement of putting it on your head or on your hand. Um, So, again, I think it's, to me, very clear scripturally that that can't be accurate. And so I wouldn't be concerned about being tricked into taking the mark. God is not going to allow something that is going to eternally condemn you to be a trick. Now, you may be deceived into sin. You may be tricked into doing something you shouldn't do by the enemy or even your own deception. But when it comes to eternity, God's not going to allow the enemy to trick you into hell. And and so God's going to show you you've got a choice to make. So when it comes to this mark... If this mark is like God says it is, and we know it is because his word is always true, once you take it, there's no hope. You are eternally condemned. So with that knowledge, I do not believe it will be possible for a believer to be deceived into taking it. And let me further say, I do not believe this vaccine is the mark of the beast. Now, with that said, do I believe it's a precursor or a prep or getting us ready for that, absolutely, because it's getting us all used to the idea of having a one unified thing that'll get us somehow all protected globally, globally or whatever, and you see the idea of this, we can all get the vaccine, we can all show we've had a vaccine, we can all have our, account, our, our bank accounts there together, we can have our information, so this is further prep work for yeah. the, the mark of the beast, but I do not believe this is the mark of the beast. All right. Now, another thing, Greg, yes. we want to address, and sure. let me just move right into that. And, okay. and, and so, and that is, what what is the deal with the vaccines? I'm no doctor, and I don't have all the information. A lot of you guys listening are doctors. You didn't even stay at Holiday Inn Express I did last not. Night. So, no, yeah. I can't even do that. I don't okay. even play one on TV. You don't even play it, yes. Um, but the bottom line is, um, I know a little bit about it. And here's the way it works. These The vaccines that are out now are very different than vaccines we've done in the past. And that is um, the vaccines in the past have been the actual virus, either alive or dead, injected into your body. That's all the vaccines we had as kids. You know, when you got the vaccine as a kid, you either got real polio or you got dead polio. One of the two was put in your body and then your body. Okay, now you can't get it. You're immune or you either got real. You follow me measles. But it was it was the really from the virus. This is different. This, at least the majority of them, there may be others that will come up that way mm-hmm. and maybe even out there. But the main ones I know of, the ones that are the two that are really being spread around America right now, they're not specifically made from, from aborted babies, which many of our vaccines sadly have been. These are manufactured in laboratories, so there's no, there's no babies that died to make these vaccines, which is horrific. And some of you may be hearing this going, I didn't even know they ever did that. Yes, they did. And many of our vaccines were done by aborted baby cells. It was begun that way and developed. So these are stem cell or yes. from the embryo. Yeah. Yeah. And even yeah, they take, they, cord. Yeah, they would take it from, from the baby. And I think even from the liver, they would yeah. take specifically. But either way, or the kidney, those of you that have studied it more in depth, will know what I'm talking about. But this, these are made in a lab. So they're not made from babies, if you will. So they're clean in that sense. I call righteous and unrighteous vaccines. But here's the bottom line. What they do is they don't inject the real virus in you. There's no real virus dead or alive from COVID-19. It simply goes in the way your, your RNA works. You have what's called RNA and DNA. And DNA and RNA deal with the proteins in your body. They transport and they talk about your body. They tell your body about what to do and all these kind of things. DNA is a much bigger deal because it, again, talks about your genetics and all that. RNA isn't directly connected. It's connected, but it's not like as important as the DNA. All the RNA does is it travels around and carries uh, proteins and works with the DNA. And there's what's called the messenger RNA. There's three different kinds of RNA. And the mRNA is what they're using in these vaccines. M stands for messenger. So they're using messenger RNA. And what happens is they inject this messenger RNA in you with this vaccine. And it goes in and tells your body, it sends the message to your body, hey, you, you, you don't get the vaccine. I mean, don't get the, the virus. You can't get it. You don't, you know, it. Stop. Don't come in. And so it basically is a gatekeeper. That doesn't allow the virus from taking over. My understanding is uh, one of them actually allows you to get the virus, but it doesn't allow the symptoms. It says, okay, you got the virus, but sorry, we're not allowing any symptoms. And so you can't die or get sick because it doesn't allow the symptoms and it runs its course and it's gone. The other one actually stops even you from getting the virus, but does the same thing. You can't get the symptoms or the virus. And so to me, the one that stops the virus would be the one to use because I don't know if it'd still be contagious if you did the other one or not. But either way, that's how it works. 
Now the question comes up, well, how does it, does it affect the DNA? At least what the doctors are telling us. And if you want more information, there are some Christian doctors on the James Dobson uh, show. James Dobson didn't interview them, but somebody did. If you go to Focus on the Family and, and do, do Christian Doctors and COVID-19, they have a big, long, about an hour discussion about it. And the way they describe it, if I can put it in the best words I can, is the RNA shot cannot get to your DNA. It's blocked. It's almost like it's a cul-de-sac. And so you, you drive down the RNA, messenger RNA drives down the road, but there's no road. The DNA's up on the hill. There's no road to get up there, okay? And it doesn't go Jeep CJ on you. It can't, like, <laughs> jump over the top and head up there and this kind of thing. So you basically just kind of, you have the RNA. It goes in there. It doesn't let the, the virus in the neighborhood, and there's no road to even get to the DNA house is the best way I know to describe that if you want a visual of what's going on with this shot. So with that said, I'll say this. Do we know what the long-term effect is? Here's the, here's the part, Greg, that people are kind of a little bit leery about as well, that even have this information. We don't know what the long-term effect is. We don't know what's going to happen when you mess with RNA. Uh, there have been some side effects, but that's true with any vaccine. They've had some people that have had some palsy-type things. There have been 13 people now, I think, recorded that have some facial, uh, num- uh, some facial numbness, you know, paralyzation, really. Facial, yeah. not numbness, paralyzation of the face. But that's, you know, 13 people out of millions getting it is not that much. You know, certainly none of us wants to be that one. But the point is, with any vaccine, there's going to be these kind of things that go with that. As far as whether you're going to take it or not take it, that's a personal choice between you and the Lord. You've got to pray. But I want to say this. I do not believe and do not see any way this could be the mark of the beast. I don't think you're going to be eternally condemned by taking this shot. Now, you're the one that has to live with yourself. You're the one that's going to stand before God, and you need to listen to God and not me or anybody else. But from the research I know about the shot and the research I know from the Word of God, uh, again, you're not going to be condemned by taking this shot, and there's some of the basics about the shot. Okay. Pastor Mark, thank you. And folks, thank you so much for your questions. If you've got a question like what you've heard today, or maybe a new one uh, that's uh, a result of this program or the news that you're going to see in the coming week, just visit thesigns.org and click on questions, and we will get those answers on our next broadcast, which will be on January 29th. So this is a show note. There will be no show on the 29th second because pastor mark is going to put on his pastor cape and uh, do pastoral duties out of state next friday all right let's get into some articles while we've got time left and let's go to israel as we do on most occasions here on signs of the times this first article is from israel national news dated uh, january 7th Uh, these are great prophetic barometers on where we're at the end time so keep Mm. this in mind Mm. Uh, the palestinian authority is warning that israel is planning to build a holy temple yeah, again, this is, you know, this is a couple of articles on this, but listen to this. We know there's going to be a third temple built in the last day. So when I see these things, you can kind of see these contractions rising to the top. An advisor to Abbas claims that settlers are calling for the Dome of the Rock to be demolished and replaced by the Holy Temple. Muhammad Habash, an advisor to Palestinian Authority Chairman Mahmoud Abbas on religious and Islamic affairs, said on Wednesday that The settlers are calling for the demolition of the Dome of the Rock Mosque on the Temple Mount, and it poses a serious danger. The statement came after the PA's official news of the Wafa uh, reported that Jewish organizations that support the construction of the Holy Temple on the Temple Mount have asked the Israeli government to submit a proposal to the Islamic Endowments Department in Jerusalem and the Jordanian government to demolish the Dome of the Rock and build the temple in its place. Habash is known for its inciting statements his inciting statements against Israel. So what they're saying is this guy has lied in the past and made up accusations, kind of like we talked about. Just to stir the pot. Yeah, you know, again, uh, just saying things that aren't true, you know, when the letters were sent about Nehemiah, trying to get the pot stirred up. But with that said, it wouldn't surprise me, Greg, if they are, if they have made an application. I doubt they made an, and if they, I doubt they made an application to demolish the Dome of the Rock. Maybe they were that bold. Um, but as we said uh, recently, they won't need to destroy the Dome of the Rock. There's plenty of room right next to it to build the temple, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think they'll leave the Dome of the Rock okay. A third temple is going to be built there, the Bible says, but I think it's going to be over to the, the side of the Dome of the Rock. If they'd read Ezekiel 42, then yeah. they would know these things. Yeah, and so again, I, I um, you know, is it a lie? I don't know. This guy's known for lying. However, I do find it interesting that there is more chatter about the Temple Mount. It wouldn't surprise me if they really did put an application for it. 
And it wouldn't surprise me if they asked them to remove the Dome of the Rock, but I think they're going to, if they ever get approval, it'll be, okay, you can build up there, but there's no way you're touching the Dome of the Rock. You're going to have to build over here, and that'll force it that direction. And if you're new to Bible prophecy, when we get stories that have to do with the Temple Mount and activity on the Temple Mount and dividing the Temple Mount and who's going to use the Temple Mount, that's huge because one of the hallmarks that the Antichrist is going to have under his belt is the fact that he will be the one that no other world leader has been able to do since the formation of Israel in 1948 and rebirthed as a a nation, that he's going to bring peace to the Temple Mount. Even though it's a false peace, it's going to be a more lasting peace than any other attempt that's ever been. So when we see stories like that, it's important. And there will be a temple built, which is why this gets our attention. It's going to happen, maybe not the way they're thinking, but it will happen. The third temple. That's right. And speaking of the third temple, uh, this is from Israel365news.com. This is dated January 12th. A new school in the Judean Hills is training priests for the third temple. Isn't that interesting? Now, they've been training priests for quite a while there, but now there's a new school. Yoni Zadok is running an, an unusual school in the mountains of Judea to prepare for the third temple. According to Zadok, uh, the first requirement for entering the temple will be speaking in the holy tongue, which is not Hebrew, but rather a return to how men spoke before the divine linguistic barrier imposed at the Tower of Babel. Now, here's the thing. This is the first time I've heard of this. I know there's one school that's been training priests. This is a different school that's been training priests. It may be something weird. I don't know. We'll get more later on down the road. But it's interesting now that you have these another school training the priests, getting ready, shows people are pointing more toward the third temple. And this whole thing about this divine uh, linguistic, uh, you know, whatever, I wonder what language he thinks it is, and I'd be curious to find out what language he's trying to promote. But at first, in a series of interviews about his preparations for the third temple, uh, Joshua Wonder spoke with Tony Zadok, the resident of, of Mizpah Jericho, which overlooks the region where the Jews first came in the land, down in Jericho and, and the Jordan. And he, and he fervently engaged in several projects focused on these preparations. And though his approach to some of the aspects is decidedly non-mainstream, it says, it's raising eyebrows by some of the Torah scholars. His efforts are undoubtedly inspiring debate on subjects that have lain dormant since the temple was destroyed. Uh, he's furthering the cause again, to, to further the cause rather, Zadok established a school focused on educating the Kohanim. Now, the Kohanim, the Kohen, are descendants of Aaron. Okay, they were known as the, the Kohanim. They were the priests, the Aaronic. Okay, they're the ones in the priestly line. And Im, I-N, is just plural. So Kohanim means the, the plural of these descendants from Aaron. And also the Leveim, which are the Levites, which would be, we call it today, they're the assistant pastors. The Kohanim would be the senior pastors, if you want to look at it that way. The Leveim, plural, would be the assistant pastors. And they're training all of them to be ready for the third temple in their services. Uh, it's interesting. He's calling Greg his university, his school. He's calling it Bet HaMoked. Bet means house of the Moked. The Moked was known. It was the place where when the Kohanim and the priests would come in to serve during their time. They had time bro- broken up through the year where different ones would serve, you know, and, and come in because there were so many of them and they'd rotate. They would stay in the Moked while they were there. So he's saying, we're taking the priests in. So the priests are in the Bet you know, HaMoked, staying with us while they're getting ready for their service. So very symbolic of the meaning here as well. Uh, and he says, we're teaching them the holy tongue, which is uh, Lashan HaKodesh. Again, I, I want to find out more of what that is because I don't know. Um, and he says he understands the modern Hebrew is used today, but it has to be Lashan HaKodesh. And uh, I'm anxious now to look that up. I haven't looked it up yet to see what it is, but I'm going to kind of investigate that. So we may have more on that a little bit later. But yeah, very interesting. Again, pointing to the third temple all right in one world economy news this is from the washington post dated january 10th from costa rica to zambia the coronavirus pandemic is forcing a debt crisis yeah well this goes right in line with one of our questions we had earlier because the bible says there's going to be a one world government and greg i think that a lot of this this debt crisis stuff that's happening and there is a worldwide debt crisis from covid 19 and the way they've shut everything down if the nation's um economies collapse the world's going to have to come together to survive so that's i think what's going on here yeah costa rica precisely yeah costa rica built latin america's uh, model society enacting universal health care and spending its way to spending its way to one of the western hemisphere's highest literacy literacy rates 
Now it's reeling from the financially crushing side effects of coronavirus as cratering revenue and crisis spending force a reckoning over a massive pile of government debt. Again, it goes on to say it's hurling heavily leveraged nations into an economic danger zone, putting them in a social crisis. Around the globe, the pandemic is racking up mind-blowing bills, trillions of dollars, just in America, in lost tax revenue, ramped up spending, and new borrowing set to burden the next generation with record levels of debt. In the direst cases, low- and middle-income countries, mostly in Africa and Latin America, that are already saddled with back-breaking debt, covering the rising costs is transforming into high-stakes test of national solvency. Analysts call it a debt tsunami. National accounts are sinking into the red at record pace. Okay, absolutely, I believe this is playing into what's going to be forcing a one-world economy as the nations, these ten nations, come together to save the world because everybody's collapsing, and we're going to have to work together as a world to be able to survive. Again, Greg, it's all getting put in place. Well, and that really highlights the illustration that you've made many times regarding the ten toes of Daniel. Right. Which is the ten nations of the world, or ten regions of the world, right. more accurately, coming together as one government. Yeah. But it's the aspect of the ten toes being made of iron and clay yeah. that depicts, because we know clay doesn't adhere to iron, it'll form around it, but it won't adhere to it. That's right. So we took from that, when, ever since we've read it, that the coming together is not going to be something that is going to be of a joyous occasion or some people that want to do it, but it's going to become out of necessity yeah. to do it. Forced. And up until... 2020 we didn't understand how that was going to happen now we know yeah thank you coronavirus yeah i think it's going to force it greg and again you like you said iron and clay don't mix well so some people are going to be all in some people are not but they're forced into the mold yeah in order to make it work yeah oh boy all right well our last article of the day is some weird news um and this is uh, from foxnews.com dated december 22nd a study is saying that the milky way may be full of aliens who annihilated themselves yes yes probably because they looked in on earth and said oh my word there's COVID 19 what are we supposed to do we can't we can't inhabit that planet yes again research suggests intelligent life may have emerged eight billion years after the milky way was formed now, again we don't believe in this for those listening to us we take the bible literally we don't believe we're eight billion years old but again so the article says uh, they also say no one can say for certain whether extraterrestrial civilization exists or not i was you know had you been to the movies you can see it very clearly in the movies <laughs> Um, which, again, I don't believe biblically it can. I'm only up cans of worms here as I'm reading all this. But anyway, um, the bottom line is, is they're, they're, they're saying this. We cannot assume a low probability of annihilation. It is possible that the intelligent life elsewhere in the galaxy is still too young to be observed by us. Therefore, our findings can imply that intelligent life may be common in our galaxy, but it's still young. And they believe, Greg, the Milky Way was full of aliens that may have uh, annihilated themselves and some we hadn't discovered yet. Yeah. Now, where does this come into prophecy? I know this is something that you've brought up and I've thought about before as well. Yeah. You know, we talked about, you know, we're looking at this whole um, UFO stuff going on in the last days. And even some of the things that now we've seen the government has released that really are freaky and have no, I think, earthly explanation. Yeah. Although I, I believe it's real, but I believe it's demonic. Yes. And I believe it's deceptive. And I believe it's a fallen angels that are revealing themselves, even the shape that they're in. There's all kinds of definitions of how the angels look we could go into, but yeah. for time's sake, we can't. But, um, you know, when people disappear off the earth, we've been asking, what could it be? And one of the things that could be, we've said very possibly, I know that that's something that uh, you have been very uh, keen on, that maybe suddenly we're gone and people are going to think aliens took us. They're going to have to explain away how the disappearance left. of millions of people. Yeah, but, but, but aliens wouldn't fold our clothes. And if you saw Left Behind, <laughs> left behind they folded their clothes when they left. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just having fun <laughs> the, with it. The Felix Unger. Yes, uh, that's right. So, again, either way, millions of people are going to disappear all at once. Could people think that alien life took them? I think that's a possibility, especially now that we're seeing all this uh, ufology and UFO information kind of coming more to the forefront. Yeah. Or it could be just a war. It could be, who knows? We'll find out, but it's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be many explanations. Maybe not only that, or maybe Mother Gaia ridding itself of the problem on the earth yeah uh you know that could be too mother because, earth, yeah. Yeah, because the nature. church stands in the way of this one world 
coming together on many aspects, especially a one-world religion. So there could be a multitude yeah. of responses to the rapture, yeah. but the bottom line is is that they got to say something. Yep, and the world doesn't know why we'll be gone, but if you can be gone with Jesus yes. if you don't know him today. Guys, look, if you don't know the Lord, ask him into your heart. Give your life to Jesus. We're all going to be taken out of here soon, those of us who know Christ, and so we want you to come with us. It's simple as a prayer. Turn to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you, folks, for listening. Don't forget our website. It's thesigns.org for everything related to our program. We will not be here January 22nd, uh, so we'll have plenty of things to talk about on January 29th when we return with more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the 29th. Follows the darkest hour of night. Every fear that visits in the inky blackness of night has no power in the perspective of light. When God brings light to any situation, darkness can't stay. Maybe that's why God calls you to reflect His Word to others. We all need His dawn, the perspective of His light, and His fresh start. It's a new day, it's a new dawn. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way. In a world that stands divided, I have decided.